God is good. God is good. Grab a seat. So exciting on, so exciting on this day of uh, Pentecost, which is considered to be um, one of the three uh, major festivals of the church, along with Christmas, where God sends Jesus to be with us, and Easter, where Jesus goes of his own volition to the cross to die for us and to be resurrected in glory. Pentecost is one of those key moments in the life of the church that we celebrate where the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, was poured out in power. Poured out in power. Pentecost is often referred to as the birthday of the church, and Steph mentioned that earlier. And it's not that there weren't believers before the day of Pentecost, of course there were, and we read in the first two-thirds of the Bible the story of the people of Israel and God's faithfulness to them. But at the day of Pentecost, the people of God move from being an ethnic group and a nation group and a people restricted to um, a particular place and a particular time to a global movement that takes the world by force. Pentecost, if you like, is when the floodgates are flung wide open, the Spirit of God is poured in, and the church's gates are opened wide for all to come in. And today, we sit here in this building, in SMG, in the year 2019, in Sands and Castlefield, in High Wycombe, because of what God did 2,000 years ago, sending the Spirit on that first church in Jerusalem. And um, Kent uh, mentioned last week, and I listened to your talk online, Kent, it was brilliant, um, really, really good way of kicking off our new preaching series, as Kent spoke on the ascension of Jesus into glory. And uh, Jesus left his disciples with this message. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in just a moment, we're going to read from Acts 2 about how that happened. Um, But as Kent mentioned last week, we're beginning a new preaching series. Um, Ascension was last week, Pentecost is this week, and then throughout the summer months and into the autumn term, we're going to be going across the first few chapters of the book of Acts and looking at this phenomenal journey of the early church. The book of Acts is often called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's often been said that it really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it is a phenomenal journey of the Spirit of God at work through the church. So let's read it together. And if you've got a Bible with you or on your phone, please turn to it. If not, there are Bibles on the tables in front of you. It's page 1093 and we're looking at Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Amalites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the, on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want you to just um, picture that scene. There the disciples are gathered together in one room and the spirit comes and there is a sound like the rushing wind and they begin to see what appear like tongues of fire coming to rest on each of their heads and then they burst forth out into the streets and begin speaking boldly the good news of Jesus, but not in their own language, not in Aramaic, but in the language of the nations that have gathered into Jerusalem. Pentecost was a Jewish festival at that point, celebrated 50 days after Passover. And so the world, quite literally, had come to Jerusalem. So God knew what he was doing here because the world had come into Jerusalem. And now, because of what the Holy Spirit was about to do, the gospel was going to go out to the world. So you can imagine, can't you, as we heard there, that the crowds see this and they hear what's going on and they conclude these men must be drunk. They must be crazy. What is going on? And the Apostle Peter stands up to explain to them and he gives what was basically the first sermon of the early church. And it's a pretty good sermon. I mean, I would, I would quite like to have a sermon where 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus off the back of it, which is what happens here, Luke tells us later on. Phenomenal message. And like any good sermon, Peter begins by quoting scripture and he reads to them from the prophet Joel, as we just heard, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people and so on. You can read that in verse 17 onwards. And Peter preaches the gospel to them. He explains who Jesus is and what he's done. And he challenges them, repent, repent, turn around and be baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Just picture that scene for a moment. This bold, gutsy message coming from Peter. This, by the way, is the same guy who only a matter of weeks before had denied even knowing Jesus and was as timid as it comes. He is now boldly proclaiming who Jesus is and calling the crowds to repentance. All over the world today, there are denominations that identify themselves as being Pentecostal. Uh, We have a congregation that meets in this very building, actually, after us, which would call themselves a Pentecostal church. Um, Probably more prevalent in Western churches, we might use the word charismatic. The word charismatic comes from the Greek word charismata, which means grace gift. And it's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul references in the New Testament. Pentecostal and charismatic. These are how Christians have defined themselves. Maybe you would call yourself a charismatic Christian. But the question I'm left with is, amazing dramatic event that we see here on that first day of Pentecost. Phenomenal now that we have Christians all over the world, millions, billions of Christians worshipping this morning and celebrating this day of Pentecost. What was it for? What was it for? Why the fireworks? Why the fire? Why the rushing wind? Why all the drama? I mean, it must have been exciting, but what was it in aid of? And it saddens me that all over the world today, there are churches that will use the labels, perhaps, of Pentecostal and charismatic. But really, these sometimes just describe the style of their services rather than the posture of their hearts. You know, um, having a a really cool, nice keyboard and uh, and a guitar doesn't make you charismatic. That you know, if your worship service includes contemporary music, that doesn't make you charismatic. Going to New Wine in the summer doesn't make you charismatic. Now, don't get me wrong. um, We, as a leadership team here, want services that are spirit-filled, that are spirit-led, where we have times of encounter when we come together to worship God. I want more of that. But you know, the purpose of Pentecost, that day when the Spirit of God was poured out, the purpose of Pentecost was not so that the church could have a range of nice services. Sorry to burst your bubble. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose of Pentecost was not so that we could come together and have a great charismatic time enjoying singing songs and and have a little bit of a party, though we do that, and I'm sure the early church did that, and it would have been phenomenal. That was not the end game. The purpose of Pentecost was to set the church on fire and to propel it out of the building and into the world. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the ends of the earth. Pentecost led directly to mission. Just before Easter, Anna and I went on holiday to Malta, which is a beautiful island to spend just under a week. And um, there is a bit of the island called St. Paul's Bay. So called because that is where we believe St. Paul was shipwrecked 
when he was en route to Rome and he was washed up on the Isle of Malta and you can read that in the New Testament when uh, he meets the the residents of the island. And um, that was just part of Paul's missionary journey in the New Testament. He took the gospel across to the nations that are now Syria and Turkey and Italy and elsewhere, all over that area of the Mediterranean, large parts of the known world, the apostles more generally in just a 30-year period after the death and resurrection of Jesus took the gospel about as far as you can imagine. Um, We looked a few weeks ago at the story of Thomas and I said that church tradition has it that Thomas even planted churches as far away as India. This is in a 30-year period after the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. And for some of those apostles, it cost them their lives. We know from tradition that Peter was crucified, probably upside down, that James was executed, John was exiled, Paul was imprisoned multiple times. That is the cost. But that was the fervor and the energy and the passion and the zeal that the early church had because they had been set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in our own nation, we think that the gospel probably arrived on these shores somewhere around the end of the first century, beginning of the second. We don't quite know how, probably word of mouth along the trade routes of the Roman Empire. But by the time Augustine's mission was sent here um, in the sixth century by the Pope, Christianity was already here. They already found church communities meeting because the message had spread like wildfire. And it all begins on this day in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. I want to tell you, friends, that when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the church, it is unstoppable. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the church with the good news of the gospel, it just spreads and nothing and no one can contain it. The Roman Empire tried to suppress the proliferation of the good news. They tried to censor the gospel and they failed miserably. In fact, in the end, the Roman Empire took the decision that if we couldn't beat them, we'd have to join them because they just couldn't stop this momentous force of the gospel going out into all the world. There's an ancient prayer that the church has prayed since its very inception, which is, come Holy Spirit. Knowing what we know about the early church and how the Spirit took them out. I just wonder if we're bold enough to pray that prayer, come Holy Spirit. Because it strikes me that it's a pretty dangerous prayer to be praying, come Holy Spirit. Because that prayer will take you out of your comfort zone if you pray it with faith and conviction. That prayer will take you to places and to people that right now you could never imagine. That prayer will take you into circumstances and situations to say things and to do things that currently terrify you. 
that prayer will cause you to make sacrifices for the kingdom of God that you just don't think are possible right now. That prayer will cause you to endure persecution that you don't feel you have the resources to endure right now. That prayer, if we pray it together as a church with faith and conviction, will turn this building inside out and will cause the four walls of this church, metaphorically, I hope, rather than literally, but hey, um, to fall and for the church to be flung out into its community. So it's a dangerous prayer when we pray, come Holy Spirit. It's a really dangerous prayer. And it's really upset Hannah, clearly. Pentecost is called the birthday of the church, not because it led to a whole raft of new church services. Probably did, but that's not why it's the birthday of the church. Pentecost is the birthday of the church because today, one third of the world's population identifies as being Christian. Why? Because the church took the gospel out to the world in power and with authority because of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, 2019, as we sit here, the gospel is still being proclaimed. People are still being sent. Churches are still being planted. And every day and every week, Thousands upon thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and like on that day of Pentecost, are giving their lives to him, are enduring suffering and persecution for being counted as one of his children and are following Jesus to the ends of the earth. Why? Because the church is still praying, come Holy Spirit. So are you brave enough to pray that prayer? Because it's pretty scary. Are you brave enough to pray, come Holy Spirit? I wonder if I could invite Anna and Toby to come up and start playing for us. It's really exciting what we are doing here, starting a new church community, a new kind of worship gathering, thinking about how God is calling us to bless our community. But here's the reality. Nothing significant is going to happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the reality. Because it's the Holy Spirit that changes lives, the Holy Spirit that convicts hearts, And we need to be willing to open our hearts, to let him in, to give him the run of the house, no holds barred, holding nothing back, to allow ourselves to be so filled with his power that we are propelled out into the world to speak of Jesus and to live for Jesus in the way that we saw the early church doing. If we really want to see revival in this parish, in this town, in this nation, if we really want to see people come to know Jesus, if we really want to see the church alive again, we must be open to the Holy Spirit coming in power for the sake of the world. I'm going to ask these guys to just uh, play this song in the background. The words will come up on the screen, so if you want to sing along in a moment, um, then you can. Um, But 
let's begin by waiting, shall we? You might want to close your eyes if that's helpful for you. But let's wait and let's be open to God sending his Holy Spirit afresh on us. Often when we pray for the Holy Spirit, and it's right that we do this, we pray for God to come and to bring healing to us and to comfort us, to restore us. And absolutely that is right. And absolutely God may want to do that in some hearts this morning. But the challenge is that we also need to pray that God would set us on fire for the sake of the world and send us out in power and not be the timid church that we often have been in this nation but to speak and to live with boldness and with authority so only pray this if you really mean it but if you do pray come Holy Spirit